Amen. We thank God for the truth that is in the hymn which we've just sung. Well, let me ask that we turn to the book of Revelation and chapter 7. We will read from verse 9 up to verse 17. Revelation. If you are there, the Bible reads, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four uh, living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. They say the saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the tri great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made themselves white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he sits on the sorry, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb, of the, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tears from their eyes. Let us pray. Our dear loving God and blessed mighty Father, we thank you again this evening as we quieten our minds to hear you speak through the word preached. Lord God Almighty, speak as your servants listen. I pray that you use me as a mouthpiece to communicate the very oracle of God to the end that to those who are still lingering in their sins, they will be shaken out from the slumber and tend to you in repentance and faith. And to those of us who are Christians, that we will be encouraged to forge ahead in the most holy faith and join the throng of the redeemed who never tire singing worthy worthy is the lamb who was who is and who shall forever be oh lord god almighty may this be our experience this evening and forward do these things lord we ask and pray as we do so in Jesus' name we pray Amen. The passage that has been read in our hearing, it comes at a time when we have been tested, tried, and bombarded with afflictions. Though the plague of COVID-19 has been with us for over three years now, Yet, the 2021 June to July has been one of those 
months and periods that have left a trail in our midst here at KBC in Lusaka and the country at large. There has never been a time in history when the reports of massive deaths and sicknesses have sounded as if it was a normal kind of life. It was during this moment, if my memory serves me right, that the cold hand of death claimed the life of our beloved brethren, among them Mrs. Chibuta, Sister Wupe, and also one of the beloved father to my friend, Dr. Lambwe. Now, striving in their beds as they were being tended to in sickness, and saints were busy interceding in their behalf that they might be restored unto normal health, and yet this was to no avail. As the Bemba saying would go, meaning, inasmuch as you might be accurate in putting up the building, ultimately God's will will be done. You may say, oh, we would have actually put this and that there. That is what God predetermined in his counsel, eternal counsel. Now, I remember, and this, because I was at the scene, Dr. Lambwe, as it were, spending sleepless night until the fateful day of death of his father, he was busy trying to resuscitate his father as he used all the medicines at his disposal. Alas, using our language, the man said, Yasimpundu, lekini silena pita, meaning, Vashimpundu, let me just go home. Friends and brethren, this man prayed a prayer of confession asking God to receive him and he breathed his last. Friends, there can never be such a simulation of what it means coming home of the saints free. Free in the sense that when they were here, they were bombarded with sicknesses and many other things that actually debilitated them. Now they have gone to the place where they are free from these things. And my message this evening is coming home of the sense free. Friends, here in this passage of scripture, we see a picture of sense glorified or the church glorified. In Revelation chapter 7 verse 1 to 8, we notice that the sum total of the number of the sealed ones is 144,000. The chapter opens up with the scenario in which the safety of the souls need to be as it were secured. And so the execution forces as it were needs to be put in place or held back. And so you will appreciate to learn that the whole of chapter 7 is a holy interlude pause describing how the Lord in this cosmic tribulation has not forgotten to secure the safety of his people. All whose names were written in the book of life before the foundation of the world, the ceiling of 144,000 who are the spiritual Israel. However, 
The turning of our hearts home is the theme of this passage we are reading today. Chapter 7, verse 9 to verse 17 here, we see a picture of the church embattled. And this church is embattled where? Here on earth. And in chapter 9 or chapter 7, verse 9 to 17, we see the church victorious and it is victorious where? In heaven. Now, this sweet contemplation of heavenly throne carefully considered will hopefully go a long way in encouraging our souls home and through this tribulation pilgrimage of life that we now are engaged in. May the Lord make it be so. Friends and brethren, though we may have lost our dear beloved brethren and saints to death through various afflictions including COVID, it is not the loss especially for the saints, so to speak. They have come home in heaven free. Friends and brethren, we are but pilgrims on this globe called earth. And therefore, I hope I'll manage five things I want us to appreciate for our encouragement and exhortation. The first thing I want you to appreciate with me is what I'm calling the great multitude. And secondly, we will look at the standings. And that is basically what we see in this passage of scripture. The great multitude was standing before the throne. And then thirdly, we will look at the palm branches. And then fourthly, we will consider the double amen. And that's what we see there, friends and brethren. I think it must be in verse 13 or so or 14. They are actually calling or shouting double amens after that sevenfold doxology of attributing it to God himself. Beginning the sentence with amen and ending with amen. And finally, we will look at the, such, the, the satisfying bliss, hopefully. The first point, therefore, the great multitude. And we see this in verse 9. After this I looked, and before me was a great multitude. Friends and brethren, the great multitude which no man could count is the evidence of the greatness of God's salvation for his people. The first time I heard some watchtowers preaching to me, they really dampened my faith because they only said it's only the 144,000 who will go to heaven. But what we have here, friends and brethren, the Bible is actually not saying these are the only ones in the literal sense of the number 147. It is a great multitude. No wonder. John 16, verse John 3:16, we see, for God so loved the world and the world is composed of a multitude of people from languages tongues and tribes and ethnics mention it and therefore we can safely conclude that heaven is a place that is well populated it represents all strata of humanity you can ever think of here below. There was a great multitude which no one could count. 
every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And John here described it as the 144,000. And so, in verse 1 to verse 8, we see him saying, after these things, then he saw a great multitude. Now, after what? After he heard. What did he hear? He heard the number of the sealed ones from the perspective of God's omniscient. Firstly, therefore, what we see here is the picture of the church militant on earth. Verse 1 to verse 8, he heard. He couldn't actually uh, tell us in terms of counting because he heard a voice saying, 1,000, or is it 144,000 who are sealed? Verse 4, they were standing before the throne. Now, that is God's omniscience and God's all-knowing. In his foreknowledge, he knows exactly the number of the elect and he has actually fix this number it can never be reduced nor increased upon and therefore this 144,000 is a literal number which represents the spiritual Israel who are the elect of God and then when we come to the passage we are looking at in this 9 to verse 18, 17 I mean, there we see the picture of the church as it were, uh, triumphant. But now we are, as it were, transitioning, as John says after this, in verse 1 to verse 8, he heard. And in verse 7 to verse 19, he saw. What did he see? The great multitude. The one which he had, 144,000. Now he's telling us that he saw the great multitude which no man can count. So, we hear uh, we have here the sealed souls on earth who have now, as it were, made it safely to heaven. Though it is true that they were counted as 144,000 previously, now they are described as uncountable. How? It is because the Lord goes God knows all who are is, and he has actually counted them by number. And so, when we look at chapter 13 and verse 8, we appreciate that it is because the Lord knows that number exactly. For they are written in the book of life. Revelation 13 and verse 8. God knows how many they are. He has got their number. But when it comes to human point of view like John and I, it is uncountable. No man could count. Now, this is exactly what the Lord promised Abraham. How many stars are in the sky when God called Abraham from where he was and where he was to go? He showed him that he's going to prosper him. He will be the father of many nations. And he took him out and said, look at the stars. How many are there? He couldn't count. 
he could not count and so shall be his offsprings as many as the sands on the seashore as the 144,000 in verse 8 describes the people of God who are Jewish heritage they are also heirs of the covenant of Abraham Isaac and also uh, Jacob therefore verse 9 to verse 12 highlights the people of God with an international flavor he is not only God of the Jews he is God of all nations ethnic national name it yes they are children of Abraham in their will in that they will also come from every tongue tribe and nation this is the expression of the universality of the people of God and this is the promise God made to Abraham in chapter 12 and verse 13 notice how the church is being described in Jewish terms and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed now those families of the earth it's not only the jews it includes those who are non-jews the gentiles and in their different nationalities and ethnicity the promise to abraham is not only physical but spiritual and to all the inhabitants of the earth genesis 17 verse 5 i will make you a father of many nations so that what this countless multitude is sin but the fulfillment of the promise of abraham is made in this text we are looking at isn't this what the apostle paul referred to in romans chapter 4 and verse 11 when he says abraham is the father of us all who believe without being circumcised and so this is the point here friends and brethren countless multitude is the fulfillment of abrahamic covenant the church is the people of god the 144,000 on earth the church militant and also the countless multitude the church victorious in heaven we are the offsprings of abraham a multi-ethnics and also which Abraham could not count so how many will be saved if we are to ask that question well I can't count them so God fulfilled his promise to make the people of God the seed of Abraham to be uncountable and so it says there in verse 9 no one could count them this is the figure of speech because we know the lord can count and we have been actually told that god is omniscient and he knows the exact number of the elect second timothy chapter 2 verse 19 tells us there that the lord knows those who are his so though the lord knows the number yet humanly speaking it seems no one could count them friends and brethren when john was on earth he saw a few believers imagine how difficult it was planting churches there in the early centuries the church was like lilies in the midst of thorns, the lamb in the midst of wolves. But now it is quite different. 
The thorns have been plucked out. All the wolves have been taken out. No wonder John was able now to see visibly innumerable saved souls who is calling uncountable. Oh, friends and brethren, this is a very encouraging thing for gospel ministers. David Livingstone's work in Africa, his mission work could have actually been considered as what is termed a life's labor, a fool's errand. But look at what Africa is today. They labored when it was night and it seemed as if their labor was an errand fool. But when it is light today, many souls have been saved. And we attribute this to those who labored when it was dark. Oh, friends and brethren, God has uncountable number of people to be led to Christ. So go out there and make disciples so that they might be brought into the forts. In heaven, every political group, ethnic group, whatever it is group that you can actually talk about is presented. You are only excluded yourself by rebellion. It's not that God has excluded you. The reason why men and women, boys and girls will be in hell is because they rebelled against the gospel of God which he gave that they might be saved and be counted among the number. Oh, friends and brethren, that is basically what we must appreciate concerning the multitude. Secondly, the standing position. The standing position. I think we see it still there in verse 9b. At this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude standing. Now, the only one or the only one thing needful that will qualify many people to stand amidst the great destruction is the mark of the seal of the Holy Spirit who he has actually put in their hearts. And it is that that has brought about their conversion. I think Ephesians chapter 1 puts it very clear there when he says, and as also, as, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Friends and brethren, John here saw the multitude which no one could count standing before the throne of the Lamb and the standing position seeks to answer that pending question which we see in verse 17 of chapter 6. What we see in Revelation chapter 6 Judgment has come. And what we have is that all the strata of people, the kings, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave, the unfree, they went and hid in the caves, crying to the rocks and say, Hide us! What were the reasons they were running to hide in the rocks? For the wrath of the Lamb has come. Friends and brethren, this is very foolish. The Lamb who came to save the sins of the world is now come as it were in wrath. And they cry there and say, He has come. And he has come in love 
and look at the conclusion of the matter in verse 17. For the great day of the wrath has come. Who can stand it? Friends and brethren, it is only those who have rebelled against this gospel who will not stand. But the elect, the one who have been designated as 144,000, will stand. And that's basically what you see in 7 and verse 4. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000. These are the ones who were able to stand. Friends and brethren, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 17 answers to those who can stand. They could not stand in chapter 6 and verse 17 because they actually rebelled against the gospel which was presented to them. And this is the same word used here, friends and brethren. Who will be able to stand? It is the great multitude that is able to stand. What is the point here, friends and brethren? When the sky rolled back, this will be the great judgment in chapter 19 as presented to us. And when it comes, the infidels, the homosexuals, and all the unbelievers will not be able to stand the judgment of God. They will not be able to stand the wrath of God. I think you can read from verse 11 to verse 12. What we see, friends and brethren, is that when the Lord will be executing his judgment on the wicked, it is only the sealed saints who will stand unhurt because they have the mark of the seal on their forehead, which is the mark of the Spirit himself. They will be able to stand when others are massacred, condemned, as it were, to everlasting punishment. And so, how many will be that? It is innumerable number of multitude, which no one could count. We will be able to stand on the day of judgment when others are being swept in wrath to hell. We will be able, as it were, to be what is called the last man standing. I think those of you who have, who have watched WW, the last man standing. People do whatever it takes to be the last man standing in the world. Concerning the context, or is it the contest for the perishing crowns and rewards? But there is only one thing needful where you must make sure that you are the last man standing. It is that which Martha, was it Mary or Martha? Mary had chosen when Christ visited them. Martha is complaining, oh Lord. Look, tell my sister to help me. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, you worry about many things. Your sister has chosen this one needful thing. And what is that one needful thing? The Lord! And that is what I'm pointing it to you this evening. If you don't have Christ as the Lord on your side, you will definitely be swept to eternal damnation. Only the last man standing is one who has a living and loving relationship with the Lamb. To summarize it up, friends and brethren, only two things which we see here, which actually uh, is attributed to these people who have been designated as 144,000, it is they who came out of tribulation. Did I say tribulation? Great tribulation! Not only did they come out from great tribulation, but they also washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. 
the one thing needful is for you to make sure that you are one of the last man standing safe because the Passover, the blood of the Lamb, is smeared on the doorpost of your heart. Matthew 14, verse 13. Because of this, or because of the increase in wickedness, the love of many will grow cold. I can't imagine where we've come from as young people. We had a very vibrant YP. It had a graph like this. The older guys like Simbene Moses, Mary Chlambe, and what? Ending to the, young guy, the youngest guy by that time was Graham. We didn't have this division of uh, junior YPR. We were all young people. But when you look at that grip, you wonder what has happened to most of the brethren. They are not standing anymore. Will you be the last man standing when Christ comes to judge the world? Oh, friends and brethren, not at all, because if you are born again, your name is written in the book of life from the foundation of the earth. But the mark of being as it were saved is not that you be, you, it is, sorry, the mark of being saved is not just that you actually begin well but also that you continue where the perseverance of the saints standing up to the end. And I think that is the fifth point in Tulip, the perseverance of the saints. Oh, friends and brethren, will you be among those who will stand or who will be standing when the Lord comes with his legion of angels to judge, to judge the world? Unless you are, you are sealed in the blood of the Lamb, you will not be one of the last men standing. Like chaff that will actually be blown away for the wind, by the wind and will actually be cast into the fire, that is exactly what you are. Friends and brethren, we have seen the great multitude, the standing position, number three, the palm branches. The palm branches. We see this in verse 9c. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. To all those who have been sealed in Christ Jesus, to them victory is assured for they have crossed from death to life. I think that is what John tells us in 5 verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears the word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. What is it that we can say concerning heaven here, friends and brethren? Heaven is also a place that is full of praises. Not only is it populated, it is full of praises. And this uncountable multitude was standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb, holding what? Palm branches in their hands. Now, palm branches... According to the Greeks and Roman culture, symbolized victory. But there is a Jewish flavor to it rather than the symbolism of victory. In, Levit in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 39 to verse 40, it describes the Feast of Tabernacle, which is a harvest feast celebrated with beautiful trees of palm branches. Listen to what it says, and I read verse 39. Also on the
the 15th day of the seventh month, when you, are, you, have gathered in the you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there shall be a Sabbath rest. On the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. And verse 40, you shall take yourselves on the first day the fruit of the beautiful trees, look to that, branches of palm trees, and the boughs of leaf trees, the willows of the brooks, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. It's like uh, what COVID has robbed us of the, reform, the annual reformed conference where we break off to come and just concentrate on the study of God's word. Now, during harvest time, the Israelites carried these palm branches. However, there is more than just celebrating the harvest. And this we see taught to us in verse 42 and verse 43, where the native-born children of Israel left their normal houses where they could actually stay and rest for the whole year, and then they would come and camp in these booths or these camp-thatched huts. Now, what was it that they were doing? Why were they doing this in these booths camps? Verse 43, we have been taught the reason. So that your generation may know that God had his children live in the boots when they were brought out of bondage from Egypt. That is the purpose. What was the Feast of Tabernacle all about? It was a reminder of the Lord to Israel to remember where the Lord has delivered them from. That's what the members say. What it means, living well sometimes makes you drunk with worldliness and you forget your creator. So an occasion like this taps your head to think about your creator. In chapter, we will see there that for 40 years, the Lord took care of Israel in the desert, providing for them all that they needed for survival and protection. Leviticus 23, verse 42 to verse 43. There we are told, you shall dwell in the booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in the booths that your generation may know that I made, is, I made children of Israel dwell in the boots when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Friends and brethren, so this practice of the palm branches celebration was a spiritual heritage to the children of Israel. So that God, who actually took care of them in the wilderness, will be constantly remembered. So, they held the palm branches in their hands, and they told stories of how God made them, as it were, uh, survive on quails, on manna, drinking water from the rock, protection from the enemies who wanted to attack them. The Feast of Tabernacle, therefore, was reminiscing of all that God did to Israel during the 40 years of pilgrimage in the wilderness. Now, back to uh, Revelation. I believe that what is going to happen, this is exactly what is going to happen to the saints, and it is happening 
when they are home in heaven. The waving of palm branches held in their hands is an expression of thankfulness to God as they recount how God had actually taken care of them during the worldly long pilgrimage experience. He moved them from redemption, the day of their new birth, which we call born again. For many years during the pilgrimage in Christian life, they have arrived home to the promised land and they are now reminiscing, they are recalling Friends, that is exactly what has happened to the brethren who have left us. If you think where they are, they are missing you. You are missing the point. They are busy reminiscing with each other. They are actually talking about the things which God had done for them. They are not looking back as, oh, I've left my wife. I don't know what she's feeling. No! So, be encouraged just in case you feel they are very worried that they have left you stranded. Oh, friends and brethren, in the New Testament, they are friends, sorry, brethren, when we become part of that great multitude and get to heaven, what will we be doing? We will be doing exactly the same, telling stories of how we overcame, how God rescued us in many ways of this worldly tribulation, as we see it in chapter 7 and verse 14. The vast uncountable multitude you see in this, in heaven, have passed through great tribulation. Now, this tribulation has no reference to the season in history as taught by premillennialists that we will have a literal 1,000 years when it has passed, then there will be seven years of tribulation and then Christ will come. No, no, no. This tribulation, when Christ ascended to his father up to now until he comes, we will go through tribulation and it will be called great tribulation. as can be seen in chapter 20 of Revelation, but in chapter 1, chapter 1 and verse 9, John tells us what was happening to him. He was in great tribulation. Let us read that passage of Scripture. I, John, both your brother and companion, in tribulations and the kingdom and patience of christ was on the island of patmos for the word of god and for the testimony of christ friends and brethren in the new testament church the lord jesus christ assures his disciples that there will be great suffering and this is what we see in John 16 and verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me, sorry, in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble or tribul go through tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And that is an encouragement to us, brethren. We will have stories to tell of how he actually saved us in this tribulation. Did he sweep the saints together with the wicked in COVID plague? Yes. Are the saints harmed? No. Are the wicked harmed? Yes. Ask divers in hell. Oh, friends and brethren, the psalmist in chapter 23 and verse 4 tells us, Even though I walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Therefore, he encouraged, or be encouraged while you go through tribulation. 
Be encouraged while you actually try to remember those who have departed from us. They are in the better place reminiscing about the things which God had done. Friends and brethren, families and friends may leave us in times of tribulation and trouble, but God will not. Let us rehearse our celebration now as we actually march to Zion. Fourthly, the double amen. Well, that has been disproved. This is the second bottle. <laughs> we see this in verse 11 and 12. And we are told there, they fell down on their faces because before the throne and worshipped God, what we are saying, Amen. Praise and glory and word and word wisdom, thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Double amen. Friends, a worship that is devoid of amen is not God honoring. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where uh, amen. You only hear one person or none. And then you do what? Oh, amen. Friends and brethren, we learn from this, uh, this picture here before us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 16, there the Apostle Paul tells us this. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who uh, finds himself among you who do not understand, who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving, since he does not know what you are saying. Friends and brethren, the angels, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures respond to, responded to the great multitude as it were, when they were worshiping concerning the salvation with this double amen. And that's what we see in verse 10. How did they respond? With that sevenfold doxology. And in that doxology we see seven truths about God and His Son brought to our attention. Praise, glory, wisdom, thanks, honor, power, and strength to our God. Amen. There's nothing Pentecostal about saying amen. It is biblical. The great multitude is saying salvation is of God from the first to the last. And the writings of the name in the book of life through regeneration, justification, sanctification, up to glorification, salvation is all of God. Amen. And that is basically what they are saying there, friends and brethren. Here the angels... The elders and the four living creatures, they are affirming the worship of God as a redeemer. They are confirming, validating, and endorsing the great truths of praise for God. Then they end with another amen. This is in agreement declaring God's glory. Friends and brethren, what are, the view, what are we viewing here in this heaven-perfect worship? It is a mode of pattern of worship for those of us here below. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 14, there what we see is not just something happening in heaven, but it is a pattern of the elders as they fell down and worshiped. The Apostle Paul says that we are able to say amen as it were in the church to those who actually make declarations of truth. 
And that is basically what we have read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 16. Brethren, amends therefore ought to season our worship, for in heaven the worship is seasoned by amends. When we were young people, during conferences, we could just hear those uh, white guys who, as they, they teach me, they are busy saying, Amen, Amen. And then we were just wondering what these guys were, were doing. They were affirming the truth of the gospel, that it is true and it deserves Amen. Abraham in Genesis chapter 11 was actually offering sacrifices to God and the blackbirds would come interfering and he would actually swish them away, verse 15. Then the birds of prey came down on the, carcass, on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. He was swishing them away. Now, this is true of us today. Whenever we come to worship, the blackbirds of evil would appear in disturbing our thoughts, especially with this biting economy and many other things which we actually watch on TV and also pads and phones. You are closing your eyes, they flash back. They are like beds which Abraham was actually swishing here. A man swishes such. The seed is sown and then comes the black bed of the devil. Why? Because your mind easily wanders away and you start thinking about things mundane other than worship. Therefore, you need to ward off the blackbirds of evil with amen. A meaning of a brother or a sister helps the other person to concentrate as it swishes away blackbirds of evil from their hearts and restlessness including inattentiveness and laziness. There are people who might be dozing and then they hear, amen, then they pay attention. Friends and brethren, do you know what it is like when you are praying in your closet and you have as it were, oh, as it were, these scattering thoughts roving your mind? Well, I have found praying loudly to myself helpful or else those of us who have wives, I'm not saying it happens to my wife, you are praying, what do you hear? No, it's not my wife, but I've... Uh, <laughs> And listen. Oh, friends and brethren, so when you are praying, use your mouth so that you are able to say the proper amen and at the proper time when some truths resonate with your soul. Therefore, amen is a mode of what God's what God is pleased with in worship and is supposed to be our mode and so it is as we align our worship with that in heaven. Finally, the satisfying bliss. We see this in verse 16 and verse 17. Therefore, they were before the throne of God and served him, sorry, 
the, before the, the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor will scorching heat. The desire of every true blessed child of God is to be filled with the fullness of God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder Matthew 5, 6, there we are told, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Friends and brethren, the great multitude is not just worshipping before the throne, nor just standing as it were holding palm branches and other celestial beings saying amen in double form. But they are enjoying satisfying bliss or peace. This side of the world is troublesome and peace is negotiable. But there, there is peace that cannot be quenched, not even by the terrible economy. Here on earth, man is born of a woman of few days, and these few days are full of trouble. You may live 90 years, but it is nothing compared to the eternity of God. It is troublous. Those who hunger and thirst, when we get there, they shall be satisfied. The brethren we are talking about, they are already there. They are not thinking about bills of Zesco and school children and whatever it is that you can ever think of. They are at peace. Things are very difficult and our hearts are ever filled with anxiety. No wonder we keep on changing government per adventure. In the next government. And with some hopeful people as it were, looking forward to a new president with a popular slogan of Bali will fix it. Only there, that's where we enjoy bliss. Friends and brethren, when we are home in heaven, all these anxieties will be gone. There will be no other, there will be in the, in the tabernacle of God where there will be, as it were, no need for us to worry of anything. Here we are harassed. We are also dissatisfied from one side and to the other. Ecclesiastes chapter, 10, chapter 5 verse 10 says, Whenever, sorry, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. I'm sure even what body will fix might just land into meaningless. Beloved brethren, there we will get golden crowns. And the monster called pride will be dealt with forever. Here we cleave intimacy, so cleaves intimacy as they say. But the truth of the matter is that there, when we see our husband Christ Jesus, you behold the lamp, you will have the perfect kindred spirit intimacy, and you will no longer, as it were, yearn for anything because you will be fully satisfied. Oh, friends and brethren, to settle therefore for the pleasures of the world as your source of satisfaction is to settle for dregs which will send you down in the pit of hell. I must conclude, friends and brethren. Here on earth, friends and brethren, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. But when we are actually, we get there, all the fears, all the wants which we long for will be taken care of. 
We will be basking in the sunshine of God's favor, like the hymn writer would say, when we've been there a thousand years, bright shining as, as, as the sun. We've no less days to, we've no less days to sing God's place than when we first began. Oh, friends and brethren, what kind of a fool will forfeit the heavenly pleasures for the earthly, uh, for the earthly forbidden fruit? Friends and brethren, think much of heaven, and this will actually spur you to yearn, as it were, for heavenly satisfaction, as as it as we long to be home free. But if you are here and have not known Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are feeding on the chaff. And it is just a matter of time. That chaff will land you together in hell. Chaff is never useful. When people are trying to uh, winnowing wheat, the chaff is basically blowing so that it can actually be heaped together and be burnt. That is exactly what you are claiming for without the Lord Jesus Christ. True satisfaction is only found in Christ Jesus. Come to him and drink from the fountain of life and you will be forever satisfied with all God's goodness. When you are home in heaven, free at last. May God add a blessing and encourage us as we meditate on these thoughts. Amen. Let us pray. Our blessed mighty God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we are encouraged to learn that you, O oh Lord, will still take care of your children even when they have left this side of the earth. Lord, we pray that if there be any uh, mind that has been poisoned by the fact that we will find satisfaction in this world and its thing, forgive us and help us to focus our minds on the things from above. Lord God Almighty, look with pity on us in areas that we have wavered. But we pray also, O oh Lord, for those who may be here among us who do not have a living and loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. May this day be used for them to turn to you in repentance and faith towards God and also Christ Jesus so that they, are, they will be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hear our plea and our prayer we pray. We pray as we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.